the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Sanballat, it tells us three times in the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat the Horonite. And that tells us where he comes from. He comes from a town in ancient Moab. Now, Moab was a region, if you look at a map, it would be east of the Dead Sea. So that corresponds today to modern Jordan. And it makes sense then why Sanballat is so opposed to the Jews because the Moabites were perennial enemies of the Israelites. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. Have you noticed that whenever you start to take a step of faith and obey what the Lord has directed you to do, there always seems to be some form of opposition? Today, Pastor Gary will be reminding us that as Christians, we are in a spiritual battle every day and that we need to be prepared for opposition. In our text today, Nehemiah is progressing in his mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And opposition came immediately in the form of a man named Sambala. The enemy always tried to destroy the plans of God in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah chapter 6 for part one of today's message titled, Patient Perseverance. If you'll take your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter 6, that's where we will be studying today out of the Bible, Nehemiah chapter 6. And we have Bibles, by the way, for those of you who need one so that you can follow along in our study. Our ushers are coming up and down the aisles right now with Bibles in hand. If you'd like to receive a Bible, just wave in their direction. Nehemiah chapter 6 is found on page 359 in those church Bibles. Page 359, Nehemiah 6. Let me give you a little bit of an intro before we read. If you'll remember from last week's study, under the leadership of Nehemiah, the building of Jerusalem's walls is almost complete, uh, but they've run into a couple of obstacles. There is the potential threat to derail the whole building project because of conflict from within, that's chapter 5, and conflict from without, that's chapter 6. Last week, our study focused on chapter 5. The conflict from within 
was that the Jewish community had turned on each other. They had started doing things to each other as a result of an economic crisis that was basically taking advantage of each other, even to the point where, in order to settle debts, some people were selling their sons and daughters as slaves to their fellow Jew. And so within the Jewish community, you had those who had taking advantage of those who have not, those who have not, doing desperate things to be like those who have, and it almost destroyed the whole rebuilding project because it was conflict from within. Until Nehemiah steps up, he confronts it, he addresses it, he corrects it, and they learn from it. And so everything moves on. But it was a, it was a serious issue in the Jewish community where because of an economic crisis, people were, there was conflict, there was division, people were taking advantage of each other. It wasn't good at all. And we learned from this for our own church going forward. Now this is point number 22 through our list from Ezra through Nehemiah. We must continue to be an others-oriented church. We have to learn from what the Jewish community didn't do well in chapter 5 of Nehemiah, how they turned on each other instead of caring for each other, loving each other, looking out for each other, serving each other, helping each other. And that's what we need to be about as a church. Today we're going to look at chapter 6. We're going to see the other part of the conflict here, and this conflict is from without. These are people who are the neighbors of the Israelites, who don't like them, don't like the rebuilding project, and don't like the God of the Jews. And they're going to do everything they can to obstruct the project. They are opposing it. They are adversaries of the Jews. And so we're going to read a little bit about it, and then we're going to see how did they deal with this conflict from without in a teaching I've entitled this morning, Patient Perseverance. Patient Perseverance. Let's take a look here, chapter 6. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. It's a, it's, it's a little bit of a chunk here, but I think we need to hear it all so we can understand the whole story. So, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. Here's, here's the letter. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, meaning the king of Persia, because it's part of the Persian Empire right now, and he says, so come, let us confer together. Nehemiah replies, he says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. <laughs> he says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. And one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deleah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said... Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, 
Should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. And then again, he prays here, verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. Well, if you want to know the definition of a bad day, take a look at this photo right here. That's a bad day. Now, for those of you who might be listening later to this only on audio and you don't have the video, uh, what we're looking at is a picture of a horse who has somehow stepped in through a gate and now is like straddling the gate stuck. That's a bad day for that horse. You know what, what's even worse? You know what's even worse? Is when a cow is mocking you. That's even what is worse. That cow, and, and look, at, look at the nerve of that cow to get in on the picture too. And to be smiling of all things. You know that cow was thinking, if you were not a stupid horse, if you were a cow, we would not get in this predicament. Anyway, that's a bad day. I illustrate that because in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is having a bad day. A really bad day. In fact, a string of a few bad days because he's got the three stooges who are constantly badgering him here. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. This is not the first time, by the way, we're introduced to these guys. But they are, they are just relentless. They continue to harass, to oppose, to be adversaries of the Jewish people. And they threaten to derail the whole building project because of their constant war of words. Now, in order to understand the whole story, let me first give you a little background on these three guys. First of all, Sanballat. Sanballat, it tells us three times in the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat the Horonite. And that tells us where he comes from. He comes from a town in ancient Moab. Now, Moab was a region, if you look at a map, it would be east of the Dead Sea. So that corresponds today to modern Jordan. And it makes sense then why Sanballat is so opposed to the Jews because the Moabites were perennial enemies of the Israelites. It tells us in Nehemiah that Sanballat was a Persian official because, again, this whole region is part of the Persian Empire, and that it appears that the role that he has is as governor of Samaria, which is the region to the north of Israel. His name in the ancient Akkadian language actually is pronounced Sinabulet. Sinabulet translates, sin gives me life. Now, it's not the kind of sin that we think of when we hear sin, S-I-N. Actually, sin, S-I-N, spelled the same way, was the name of an ancient false god of Mesopotamia. Sin was the moon god of Mesopotamia. Sanballat's name means the moon god sin gives me life, Sinabulat. By the way, as a footnote, this is the same god, the moon god, sin, that Muhammad chose in the 7th century AD from among the 360 gods at that time that the Arabs worshipped. Muhammad said, no, this one particular god, this moon god, is the chief supreme god and called him Allah, which in Arabic just simply means the supreme god. It is the reason why the emblem of Islam, 
is a crescent moon and a star because this is that same moon god that has been worshipped throughout the ages through ancient Mesopotamia, a false god nonetheless. So Sanballat's name comes from the worship of this false god. And here he is here as one of the uh, antagonizers in the story. And he is his sidekick here, the second trash talker in the story, is Tobiah. Now, Tobiah is also a Persian official, but it tells us in the story that he is an Ammonite in, in the book of Nehemiah, not in this chapter, but it tells us Tobiah is an Ammonite. He is from Ammon. Ammon is also east of the Jordan River in the country today of Jordan. The Ammonites are also perennial enemies of the Israelites. But Tobiah is an interesting character because he actually has a Hebrew name. Even though he's from Ammon, he's an Ammonite, his name in Hebrew is actually spelled with a V, not a B, and it is pronounced Tovia. Tovia translates from the Hebrew words tov, meaning good, yah for Yahweh, and the I means my. His name translates my God, my God Yahweh is good. So it's interesting because he has a Hebrew name, but yet he's an Ammonite. And here's what makes it even more confusing. In chapter 16, verse 18, sorry, chapter 6, verse 18, it tells us he marries a Jewish woman. He's the son-in-law of Shechaniah, a Jew. And it tells us that he also has a son who marries a Jewish woman. So he's an Ammonite with a Jewish name who marries a Jewish woman who has a Jewish daughter-in-law, and yet he's opposed to the Israelites. He must have made for a great person in the middle of a family reunion because of what the mixture he's about. Now, we actually know more about Tovia, Tobiah, than we do the other three because history tells us that in a huff, not the Bible, but history tells us, in a huff, when the Jews were successful in rebuilding Jerusalem, Tobiah ran back to Jordan where he decided, well, I'm going to take some credit for stuff about myself. And he builds for himself a temple. And we actually have remains of this ancient temple in Jordan today. This is the temple of Tobiah. This is the corner of the temple. And we also know where he's buried because not too far from this temple has been discovered the tomb of Tobiah. And here's the entryway into the tomb. And I put a black box around it because you can't really see it unless you look carefully at the picture. But it's an ancient Semitic language etched at the side of the door, which spells his name, Tobiah. So we actually know where this guy is buried. So this is also now the sidekick here to Sanballat. And then we have this third guy in the story, Geshem. We know the least about this guy. It tells us he's an Arab. It indicates to us that he's probably the chief of the Arabs to the south of Israel. And his name translates rainstorm. Geshem translates rainstorm. So it's kind of appropriate because here all three of these guys come rushing in like a storm. And again, their method of intimidation to try to disrupt the building project is the war of words. Nehemiah tells us in this sixth chapter, I just bullet pointed four different ways that they were trying to oppose and to attack the Israelites short of war. Nehemiah says in verse 2, they schemed to harm me. He says in verse 9, they tried to frighten us. He says uh, three times he uses the word intimidate, verse 13, 14, and 19. He says they tried to intimidate me. And then in verse 13 also he says they tried to discredit me. These guys are unrelenting in their harassment and antagonism. Now, 
When you compare last week's study with this week's study, there's a big difference. There's conflict and opposition. But last week, it's conflict and opposition from within. When there's conflict from within, you have some limited measure of control over the thing. If it's within your family or within a church, for example, you can actually confront it, address it, change it, learn from it. Because people who love each other get together and they work out their differences. That's what people who who love each other do. So when there's conflict from within, there's a greater opportunity to resolve it. But when there's conflict from without, outside of your family, outside of your community... It's difficult, if not impossible, to change anything. Why? Because none of us can change another person's behavior. So if someone from the outside is antagonizing you, they're opposed to you, they're maligning you, they're lying about you, you can't just kind of get together and say, well, why don't we work on our... Because what happens is they're going to be the way they want to be, and you can't change them. You can only be responsible for yourself and how you react and respond to them. Please don't don't believe that you and I can change anybody. That's the work of God. God can change people's hearts. We can't do that. I always cringe when I, you know, get a young couple who wants to be married and, you know, and, and we ask. We ask her, we ask him the same question, you know. Now, can you live with this guy exactly as he is if he never changes? And can you live with her exactly as she is if she never changes? And, you know, at first I go, oh, well, sure, of course. But on, on the side, you know, sometimes I'll hear, I know, they'll change eventually after we're married. No, they won't. Now, God can do that, sure. But don't think that you can change them because none of us can be responsible for changing anybody else. What do you do when you cannot change anybody except you? What do you do? Because this is the issue here. And if you haven't lived long enough, you're going to experience this at some point. There will be, in certain settings, in certain situations, people who will oppose you, people who won't like you, people who will try to intimidate you, people who will try to make you afraid, people who will malign you, people who will lie against you and about you. What do you do? Learn from Nehemiah. Because he sets for us a wonderful example here in this sixth chapter of what are we supposed to do in the face of opposition. His example for us is marvelous. So I want us to look at how does he respond to this kind of opposition? What does he do? Here's the first thing for you note takers. We got to pray. That's the first thing he does. In verse 9, look again at verse 9. He says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. That's his prayer to the Lord. Now strengthen my hands. It's the first thing he did was to pray. Now, it wasn't the only thing he did, but it's the first line of defense. We need to go to God first before we do anything else. John Bunyan, I love what he said about that. He said this once. He said, quote, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And that's a great point of priority. I'll say it again. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. So that has to be priority. Now, please note that Nehemiah's prayer there in verse 9, four words. That's it. That's it. Four words. Now strengthen my hands. Four words. Please note, it is not the length of your prayer. It is the strength of God's reply. Not the length of your prayer. 
but the strength of God's reply. That's actually, you could tweet that. That sounds pretty good. I like that. <laughs> Not the length of your prayer. It's the strength of, anyway. So length and strength. But here's the deal. Sometimes we think, I got to have this great lofty prayer. I got to pour out everything. Hey, four words, and that was sufficient. Sometimes in our desperation, just short and succinct. It's perfect. It gets to the heart of God. God can translate the rest of what we can't communicate. Nehemiah just said simply, now strengthen my hands. Because he knows I'm growing weary from all of this. So Lord, strengthen me. He wasn't the only one who who responded in this way. David in the scriptures. There are many times when David was opposed and enemies were against him and people were maligning him, trying to kill him. And what did he often do? He prayed. Many times throughout the Psalms, I'll read you just a couple of verses. Psalm 86, verses 14 and 16. David said, The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant. That's what he prays. He's like, Lord, I'm growing weary from all of these people who are against me. Lord, just strengthen me. You see, when Nehemiah prayed what he did, note, he didn't pray, God, encourage me. He didn't pray, God, give me wisdom how to handle the situation. He didn't pray, God, get my enemies, all right? There might be a place in time for some of that. I mean, even David poured his heart out to God and said that on a few occasions. It's fine to pray for wisdom, for encouragement. But what he prays basically for is perseverance. I want to be able to persevere. I want to be able to do what you've called me to do. Strengthen my hands to finish the work that you've called me to do. So he prays. David prays. Jesus prayed. When sinful men were opposed to him, there he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, pouring out his heart to the Father, perspiring even even droplets of blood in his agony of soul. He prays, Father, there's any other way to accomplish this. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. On the cross, when those who were opposed to him nailed him to a tree, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It has to be our first line of defense because prayer reminds us that God is sovereign even over those who are attacking us and that God will help us if we pray and seek him to see his wonderful work in our lives because we seek him first in this matter. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 to 12. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, And say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the Lord even says this, and there's a special place in heaven, and you will be rewarded richly, but you're going to have to put up in this lifetime with a little bit of insult, a little bit of persecution. It's okay. God's got your back. Pray and seek his face. Here's the second thing that Nehemiah does. Kind of a rhyming theme today. Stay, pray, and then stay, stay put. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. Let me point this out to you. Look at verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. 
What did Nehemiah decide? I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to give in to this opposition, this taunting, the trash talking. I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to go down and meet him at the plane of, oh no. Friends, listen to me. If there's a plane called, oh no, in the spirit of Johnny Cochran, listen to me. If the place is called, oh no, you must not go. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.